This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Can You Hear Me Now? And it comes from 2 Samuel 14, 25-33. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and town rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area and over the Internet. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com, or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there, too. Just search for WMER, Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. So today we pick back up in the book of 2 Samuel. We've been going through it, it seems like, almost a whole year. Anyhow, hopefully today we wrap up chapter 14. But let's talk about how we got here. In 2 Samuel, David is elected king. He's first over Judah and then over the whole nation of Israel. The Bible tells us that God blessed him and showed favor on him and that he was able to subdue to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. He was able to take Jerusalem and win it back. And then we saw in chapter 11 that David hit a pinnacle. And at that point, David had a moment of weakness, a moment when his flesh took over. And it's a famous chapter in chapter 11, that's David and Bathsheba. But what we saw is that there were good thoughts and bad thoughts. Sin always starts with a thought. And because he had that thought and he acted on that thought, there was a sin and that that sin had a consequence. But David didn't think anybody would know about it. And to make sure they didn't, He covered his tracks the best he could to the point that it took him to commit murder. But God knew about it, and God disapproved that sin. And he sent his prophet, Nathan, to go talk to him. He calls him out and says, you are the man. And so David confesses. But God spoke through Nathan and told him that inside of his house there would rise a sword. There would be turmoil that would rise from within his house. Even though he wouldn't kill him, and even though he would still reign and his house would reign, there would be turmoil in his house. And that's what we started seeing in chapter 13. First, we saw his oldest son, Amnon, was in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And he tricks her to come to his bedroom, and he rapes her. Well, his brother Absalom finds out, and he plans on vengeance. It takes him two years, but he finally gets Amnon alone, and he's able to kill him at a sheep-shearing party. And then Absalom ran for his life because he's afraid they were going to kill him. And he ran back to his mama's old country where, he, where she was a daughter of a king and they took care of him. Well, eventually, after a couple of years, a wise woman comes to David and says, why will you not let your son back? And we studied this last week about water spilt on the ground that David agrees to allow Joab to go and bring Absalom back. But he's not to see the king's face. 
After several years, he can come back to his homeland, but he can't see the king. I pointed out last week that this there was a reconciliation, and we talked about how God looks at us, and he gives us a chance for reconciliation through Jesus, who came and died on the cross for us. God gave us a way back. Well, today we're going to look at, can you hear me now? Because what happens is Absalom comes back, but he's not able to see the king. And after a period of time, he, he's frustrated. He's like, why doesn't the king allow me to see him? And if he finds something wrong with me, just have him kill me. But he calls on Joab, and Joab ignores him. He calls on Joab again. Joab ignores him. Finally, he says, hey, Joab has this barley field. Let's go burn it. And immediately Joab comes. What God spoke to me about this lesson is that a lot of times God speaks to us and we don't listen. We don't listen to him. And so it takes an act just like we saw Absalom do with Joab. God has to allow our barley field to be burned. So with that said, turn with me real quick to 2 Samuel 14. We'll start in verse 25. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now in all of Israel, there was no one such much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. For the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him. And when he cut his hair off his head, for the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head. 200 shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons, one daughter, whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. We're going to stop right there for a second. This little section doesn't seem like it should fit here, but it fits here for a reason. It really starts to explain that Absalom was popular in Israel. He was going to be the next heir because Amnon was now dead. There was a second born son before Absalom. His name was Chela, but we don't hear anything about him other than about his birth. So it is thought that he died somewhere in his youth. Absalom has murdered Amnon, so now he is the next in line for the throne. And then the Bible tells us about his hair. He cut it every year, but when he cut it, it weighed five and a half pounds. That's what it says right there about the shekels. And we're going to see that later his hair will be his downfall. It gets caught in a tree and he hangs from it. And then the last thing it tells us is that he was a very sympathetic man too. That he named his daughter Tamar, which was after his sister. So let's continue. Verse 28. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. And then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he sent a second time, and Joab would not come to him. And then he said to his servant, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servant set it on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to still be there. Now therefore let me go into the presence of the king if there is guilt in me, and let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on the face of the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So he's back in town two years, and he's fed up with being in isolation. It reminds me of COVID and us being locked down for over two years. Some of us were very fed up because the government locked us down. Well, Absalom is upset and he says, he sends for Joab. He says, come to me and Joab doesn't come. He says, come to me a second time and Joab doesn't come. So he burns his field. Then he gets Joab's attention. And that's what I want to focus on today. That's what the Lord has laid on my heart for this lesson. 
The question is, do you have a barley field? Is there something that the Lord needs to burn so he can get your attention? This isn't the only place this happens. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, verse 3, listen to what it says. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Amnon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently sent to you all the servants of the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land of the Lord, has given to you and your fathers from the old and forever. Do not go to other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and to your harm. If you go on and read this chapter, it says that I'm going to send King Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to come take care of you for 70 years. He's going to put you into captivity. And after King Nebuchadnezzar has you in captivity, I'll be asking, can you hear me now? In the book of Ezekiel chapter 12, God speaks through his prophet Ezekiel and he says, I want you to take your bags. I want you to pack them. I want you to look like you're going into exile. And then when the nation asks you about it, I want you to tell them that you are a wicked nation. And thus says the Lord, I am going to send you into exile. If you flip over to chapter 14, we start to see why. Listen to what the Lord says through Ezekiel in verses 4 and 5. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idol into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of his heart of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. What he's saying is, these people are wicked people because they're coming to me with their idols. They're worshiping their idols, but yet they come to the prophet and just go through the motion. What I hope you understand is that God will go to ultimate lengths to get our attention. And sometimes that length is that he's got to take us into captivity. Sometimes he's got to burn a barley field. The first commandment was, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know, we read stuff and we think about golden calves and asterisk poles about serving a false god or something like that. But people serve many false gods. A false god is anything that you love more than God, anything that you trust more than God, anything that you worship more than God, anything that you give attention to more than God, desire more than God, give allegiance to more than God. There are multiple idols that are in our lives as Americans, and I want people to wake up and listen to this. I made a quick list because I don't have time to go through all of them. The first one is materialism, the amassing of stuff, buying trinkets and, and clothes and things like that. Hopefully you saw through COVID that we didn't need the stuff that we've got. What I heard people joke about was they didn't have to get dressed in COVID. They were on virtual calls and so they could wear their pajamas. Another idol that we worship and we trust in is money and wealth. People that worship this idol focus on how much they have or they don't have. They worry about future purchases. They worry about the stock market and gas prices and real estate and business trends that are going on. Even though we have to work, even though that we need money, and money's not bad, it's how we look at money. It's where do we put our trust? Do we put our trust in God or do we put our trust in money? 
Another idol is family. You say, well, Tim, family's good. Well, the love of family and protecting your family is good. But when we put that family above God, when we put God below that, then all of a sudden it's a problem. One of the biggest issues here is that we love our kids more than we do God. We want them to do well in sports. So what do we do? We put them in kids' sports and we play every weekend and they don't go to church because trying to grow their career in sports so that they'll have some bright future. When you put your family before God, that's an idol. Another one is education. Learning is important. More knowledge is good. It gives us uh, opportunity when we have more knowledge. But it can be bad because we use it for more influence. We use it for more self-power. We use it for more money. And even though those aren't a bad thing in general, when we put it before God, it is. And if I hadn't stepped on your toes yet, surely people are listening to me that their career is an idol. What is my job? What is my identity? My identity is my job. It's how I get materialism. It's how I get money. It's how I support my family. It's how I pay for education. Careers can be an idol when we focus on that totally. And I want you to hear me today. These are just a few. There's more. I could go on and on. But these are all idols. These are things that people love and they put above the Lord. And all of them are barley fields. Something that needs to be burned down just like Absalom burned down Joab's field. And just as it got Joab's attention, God can allow it so it gets your attention. You might ask me, Tim, why does God burn barley fields? It's because he wants our complete allegiance. We're supposed to submit to him when we say Savior. When we say, I want you to be Lord of my life, that is a complete allegiance. And it demands submission. It doesn't mean that we get to put him in second chair and we only pull him out of that position when we need him. No, he wants complete allegiance and demands submission. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary whom reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. What the Bible's saying here is that the Lord will discipline us. He will chastise us to correct us just like a father would. I remember growing up hearing my dad tell me, son, I love you. I love you dearly. And I'm going to spank you so that you will understand that this is wrong. He disciplined me because he loved me. I love my kids and that's why I discipline them. When I raise them, that's why I discipline them. I care more about who they are going to become than more than if they like me. Just like my father would say. It didn't make sense at the time. But what my father was saying is, I don't care if you like me or not. I'm going to raise you to be the right kind of man you're supposed to be. And if we don't discipline our children, if God doesn't discipline us, then we will be disobedient children. And so why does God allow our barley fields to be burned down? It's because he wants to produce righteousness in us. Flip back to Jeremiah 25, and what do we see there? We see the nation of Israel had no repentance. We see disobedience. We see idolatry. We see disregard for God's holiness. And we hear about deaf ears. And what did God do? To get their attention, he allowed them to go into captivity. He said, in captivity, you'll be asking. I can hear you now. I'm listening. It's amazing the people that walk around in disobedience, open disobedience against God's word, yet they expect a blessing. They worship the false gods that they put before God, the idols that I've pointed out. 
They treat God as a common thing. He's equal to all those others. And yet, they're not listening to what the Bible says. And they expect a blessing. Recently, I was amazed at the people that I talked to that claimed to be Christians. When Roe versus Wade was overturned, they were upset about it. I'm not trying to turn this lesson into something political, but I want you to understand that the Bible says, Thou shall not murder. And when a baby is, when it is formed in the womb, it is a life. And if you have an abortion, then you are committing murder. Since 1970, over 46 million abortions have happened in America. Over 600,000 abortions happened last year. And I just pick out this one thing to show you the sickness of America. And God is saying, turn to me, come to me. I'm going to burn your barley field to get you to do that. In the book of Revelations, it tells us about how God pours out his wrath for the last moments before it's too late to get people to turn to him. And yet they will shake their fist at him and be mad at God. I hope you're listening to me right now. I hope I have your attention. I want you to understand, don't ignore God. If you ignore God, he will eventually allow a barley field to be burned down to get your attention. And why does God burn our fields? Because he understands what eventually it will produce in some. In verse 12 of chapter 25 of Jeremiah, he says, I will make it a perpetual desolation. What he says is that I'm going to make it so that it is totally destroyed. In Ezekiel 13, 14, when we looked at, he says that you shall know that I am the Lord. I'll break down the walls that you've built up so you know that I am the Lord. I may not be politically correct this morning, but I will tell you throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation that God has allowed calamity to purge and to let people remember who he is. Think about Noah's Ark. Think about the Passover, the plagues. God has the ability to allow and send things our way so that we will understand who he is and put him back in the place he's supposed to be. But the Bible tells us the reason why the Lord allows us and why he produces the burning of the fields. Turn with me again back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord understands that the burning of our fields are painful, but it produces obedience. His discipline brings righteousness and obedience into our life. The pain that the Lord allows to come into our life is so that we will turn to him. We'll quit trying to do it in our own way. The Bible tells us in Psalms 118.18 that the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Again, the Bible teaches us if we will listen, if we will turn, it won't take us to death. It may be very painful. The Holy Ghost may take us to a path that's very painful, but it doesn't normally produce death unless we don't turn. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, the Bible tells us this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What the Bible is teaching us right here in verse 3 through 5 of Romans 5 is that tribulations are good. We are his children and it teaches us perseverance. It teaches us ability to be faithful. It teaches us to be able to stand strong in the Lord. 
And because of that, it builds character. It, brings, it builds a virtue. And because of that character and virtue, we now have hope in the Lord and all the good things that he's going to give us. Going through whatever you're going through can and will produce a deep abiding character in you if you embrace it. If you say, Lord, teach me what you want me to learn through this. Quit looking at it as a bad thing and start looking at it as a good thing. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I think about COVID. Even though it isolated us, it allowed our families to get back to being family. It allowed things that were distracting us like sports and work and entertainment to stop long enough for us to understand what really mattered in life. And that's a great example of what the Bible is saying right here in verse 5. If we will embrace what's going on in our life, doesn't mean we always ask for it, but if it comes, we ask the Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Embrace it and learn from it. And hopefully you see from this lesson today the big picture. And you should be asking yourself, what is my barley field? What is my distraction? What is keeping me from listening to the Lord and what he's trying to say to me? I love how the Bible puts it in 2 Corinthians 4. Starting in verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. It calls it a treasure. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in us. Again, the Bible calls this process of sanctification, and that's really what we're talking about here, is that the problems we go through, it builds that virtue, it builds that character, it builds that steadfastness that we have in the Lord and the trust in the Lord. And through that, more people see Jesus through us. He comes to live more inside of us, and we reflect him better when we go through these trials. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. My recommendation is for us to listen closely to the Lord, to live in obedience. I think about COVID again and about how people I know that didn't listen to the Lord, wouldn't obey the Bible, followed the letter of the law to the T. They would get on to people for not following things, not wearing the mask right, not going and get vaccinated, but yet they won't follow what the Lord has told us to do. They're willing to listen to man, but they're not willing to listen to the Lord. They're willing to be obedient to man, but they're not willing to be obedient to the Lord. And if I've stomped on a toe a little bit today, I'm not going to apologize because guess what? I stomped on my own toe. We need to be careful that we don't have a barley field, that we don't have a distraction. We don't have something that we tune God out with. We need to learn to live in his grace and his favor and die to ourselves daily. The Bible tells us in John 16:33 that we are promised to go through storms in life. Sadly, though, some of the storms that we go through are self-inflicted. We fail to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we set ourselves up for that storm that will come sooner or later, a field that will be burned in our life. We think because the storm hasn't come, that the field hasn't burned, that somehow we have escaped God's wrath. We have escaped, and He doesn't know about it. But we haven't escaped anything. What it shows us is that the Lord is long-suffering, He's a good Heavenly Father, but we also have a loving Heavenly Father who loves us too much not to go to great lengths to bring us back, even if it means burning those barley fields. There's a story I grew up hearing about a captain of a ship that looked out into the dark night and he saw a faint light, and so he messaged out and told them to change their course by 10 degrees. 
he got a message back saying, no, you change your course by 10 degrees north. He responded, no, I'm the captain of this ship. You are to change your course 10 degrees. Once again, the man replied back, I'm a seaman third class, but you better change your course 10 degrees north. This made the captain angry, and he sent a threatening message saying, alter your course 10 degrees. This is a battleship. This is my final response. Alter your course to 10 degrees north, or you will leave me no choice to take action. The captain got a final response back. It said, you need to take action immediately. Alter your course 10 degrees north. This is a lighthouse. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is our lighthouse. He doesn't alter his course. The Bible doesn't change. Idols may not be what we read in the Bible, but we have idols in our life. We have to alter our course. We have to change our life. And God will use a barley field so that we will change. If we don't choose to surrender, if we don't choose to alter our course, we'll be just like that battleship that almost crashed. Jesus is asking today, will you alter your course so I don't have to burn that field? Do you hear me now? Are you listening? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we ask that you will just let us see the barley fields that are in our life. Lord, the places where we have stuck idols, even though they're not a graven image, even though they're not an asterisk pole, even though there may not be a false teacher. Lord, we have put things in our life that we put on the same level as you. We didn't maybe not put them above you, but we put them on the same level. And so at times we let them distract us from you. And Lord, right now, I pray that you would speak to everyone that hears my voice, that we would search our heart. Lord, that the Holy Spirit will knock on our heart. And Lord, let the Holy Spirit expose those things in our lives that we need to get rid of before you have to burn that field. Lord, I pray for the one that's angry right now with you because they've gone through a barley field and they're frustrated with you. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will send peace and they'll listen and they'll understand that out of that comes virtue and righteousness and you chastise us like a loving father. Lord, maybe there's one that's never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today that they would do that. Lord, they will ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they'll believe on your finished work on the cross. Lord, that you went to the cross and you died so that we don't have to, that your blood was sacrificed for the whole world. And all we have to do is believe of your finished work. We have to make you Lord of our life. Lord, we have to be willing to submit. We have to be willing to alter our course. Lord, it's about you and not us. Lord, help us understand to keep our eyes on you. Let them understand to keep their eyes on you and chase after you. Follow and be obedient from your word. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. Lord, we thank you for all that you do in this ministry. And now, Lord, we just give it back to you in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.